fundraiser. They're serving until 1230, so when we get done, if you want to, be sure to head to the Methodist Church and support that great cause. Also today, from 4 to 7, is the YMCA Open House. They've went through a remodel, and it's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful job that was done with this remodel. And they're, they're serving a free spaghetti supper tonight. If you want to join the Y and you're not a member, they're going to waive the joiner fee if you bring uh, canned goods to donate to area food pantries. Uh, I bet many of you haven't been in the YMCA for quite some time, and I think today would be a great day to check that out. Also happening, Wednesday is our annual... Uh, whoa, went too fast there. Am I, am I doing this or are you? It didn't matter. I'm doing it okay. Wednesday, uh, the annual MAP meeting at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Also on Wednesday evening, this is in your bulletin, it's not on the screen, Joyce Trummel from our church does just a wonderful job helping people going through the grieving process. She's put together a curriculum, and she's going to be holding a one-time workshop, one-session workshop this Wednesday night in our conference room downstairs, handling the holidays for those that have experienced loss this year. And I know that many of you have. It's been a tough year in 2011. And if that is you, um, we would love to have you come. There's no strings attached. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to fill anything out. It'll just be 60 minutes led by Joyce helping us figure out how to handle the holidays during a difficult period of time. That's in our conference room in the basement. Uh, You'll hear more about the Passion Trip fundraiser next Sunday night, Community Thanksgiving Service at 6 p.m. We're hosting it, and the new preacher at Kenny Christian Church will be bringing the message, Dennis Corley. And then Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday the 23rd, our second annual Thanksgiving Eve service will take place in the sanctuary at 6.30 p.m. Do you suffer from an identity crisis? Do, Do you know who you are? Now, most of you would probably laugh at that question. You'd say, of course I know who I am. I know exactly who I am. I haven't forgot my name yet. I still know my telephone number. I still know my address, but That's not really what I'm talking about when I ask you that question, do you suffer from an identity crisis? I believe many Christ followers in 2011 aren't really sure who they are. They suffer from an identity crisis. And we have a a passage of Scripture today in 1 Peter chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 that I think really helps us refocus and remember the answer to that question, Who are you? In fact, I think Peter paints for us three pictures about what the people of God should look like, who the people of God should follow, and the difference that the people of God can make. Now, Peter's writing this book in a much different time than we live in in 2011. After Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross and was crucified, Christianity began to kind of explode. It happened, started on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 according to Acts chapter 2, became Christ followers on that day. And from that day uh, in in the early 30s AD up to uh, the late 50s AD, there was kind of a groundswell of momentum in the faith. More and more men and women and children were becoming followers of Jesus. There was a positive momentum. And this was the day in the age of the Roman Empire. And if the Romans were anything, they were tolerant. They were tolerant of many different diverse belief systems. And so it was a pretty good time to preach Christ. 
It was a pretty good time to go on missionary journeys like Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas and Apollos and Luke and others did as recorded in the book of Acts. And the faith is beginning to build and momentum is beginning to swell. It's a good time to be a Christ follower. And then something happened that changed the atmosphere in the Roman Empire. It was a fire. It wasn't just a fire. It was the great fire in the city of Rome. We know it happened in 64 AD. We even know the exact day. The exact day was July 19, AD 64. The city of Rome burned. And it burned not just for an hour, not just for 24 hours, but for three full days of the city of Rome burned. And then just as the fires were beginning to be put out, for some reason the soldiers stopped the the firefighters from putting out the fire. And the fire continued to spread. And before long, the city of Rome really had faced a crisis. The emperor at that time was a man by the name of Nero. Many of you know that name. Nero used this, this tragedy, this great fire, as an opportunity to to reach out and to try to stop the spread of Christianity. He hated the Christians. He thought they were cannibals. They talked about eating the the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And it was during this time that some of the greatest persecution the church has ever faced took place. Tacticus, the, the great historian, writes that Christians, many of them were gathered up. Some of them were crucified. Some Christians were sewn into the skins of animals and thrown to wild animals. And he writes, most heinous of all, some Christians were taken. They were dipped in pitch. They were held up on poles. And then they were lighted on fire so they could illuminate Nero's gardens through the night. A different time from America, November 13, 2011. Not a single one of you faced persecution today in order to come and sing Jesus Messiah, name above all names. In 64, 65, 66 AD, it was a different time. It's about that time, 66, 67 A.D., that Peter writes his first epistle. And it's a powerful letter. And it's in that context of persecution. It's in that context of pain that I want us to hear his words this morning. Read with me 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 4. Peter says, As you come to him the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes the Old Testament. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were predestined for. Number one this morning, the first picture, the people of God 
have a leader we can follow. It's in the midst of that awful persecution that Peter says, guess what, Christ follower? Guess what, person of faith? You have a leader that you can follow. And he gives actually five different pictures. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly this morning, but Jesus, the living stone, an obvious reference to the resurrection of the dead. He beat death once and for all. Jesus is the precious stone chosen by God. Jesus is the saving stone for those who hope and obey. Jesus is the stumbling stone. That's hard for us to fathom that, but Jesus Christ is referred to as the stumbling stone for those who refuse to convert, for those who refuse to accept the faith. And then finally, Jesus is the cornerstone. The church is built on him. The reference that Peter makes here is to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It's a reference of who this Messiah will be. Peter says he's the cornerstone. That language doesn't do a lot for us in 2011. We don't really get the whole cornerstone thing. But in the first century world, I've I've shared this before. Some of you will recognize this. Sometimes the place a building was erected didn't depend on, you know, what, what type of a lot you had or was there access to a well. It depended on do you have an acceptable cornerstone already there. Archaeologists have uncovered a first century cornerstone. Look how big it is. 69 feet by 12 feet by 13 feet. That's a big, big stone. And the principle is this. You don't get the cornerstone and bring it to you. You go to the cornerstone. That becomes the building location. And the point that Peter's trying to make, whether you're a high schooler, or whether you're middle-aged, or whether you're a senior citizen, the point is this. Don't say, Jesus, here I am, come to me. Go to the cornerstone. You have a leader worthy of following. There's a second picture that I want us to see in this text this morning. The people of God have a label that is worthy of wearing. Who are you? Well, Peter answers that question. Let's read on in 1 Peter 2. Peter says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. I have my wallet with me, as I do most times. And um, if you were to pick my wallet, it'd be hard to do because I have this little button here and I keep it buttoned. But let's just say you're really good and you picked my wallet. You would be able to learn an awful lot about who Greg Taylor is. For instance, you would find out that I am a member of the uh, Clinton Community YMCA. I've got my YMCA card here. And that would let you know that I'm a YMCA member. You would know that I like to go watch the Clinton Maroons play sports, whether it's football or basketball or volleyball or whatever it may be. I've got my Go Clinton Maroons All Sports Pass. And that would give you some information. You would also find out that sometime this year, I successfully passed the Hunter Safety Course. I've got my card of certificate right here. 50 out of 50. How about that? Even more scary for you is the fact that I have my, if I can get it out here, I've got my hunting license right here. Greg Taylor with a shotgun. Now that is scary. That should be a matter of prayer, but right here it's legal. 
Read them and weep. You would find out right here. Sam's Club. I'm a member of Sam's and I can go and shop there. And that's something that you would learn. And there's all kinds of different things that you could find out that are in my wallet. But guess what? That wouldn't tell you the whole story. That wouldn't even tell you the most important parts of the story. I didn't tell anything about Greg Taylor, the father, or Greg Taylor, the husband, or Greg Taylor, the son, or Greg Taylor, the nephew, or Greg Taylor, the uncle. But even that's not the most important thing. The most important thing that you could know about me is that I'm Greg Taylor, the Christ follower. That's what Peter's trying to say. Listen to to this picture that he gives us. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people who belong to God. He's saying it's not an accident who you are. God chose you. He said, no longer do you have to, when you sin, go to uh, the the Holy of Holies, to the tent of meeting, and and take in an animal to be sacrificed and give it to the priest. And the priest is going to lay it on the table and get out a big old knife and, and kill that animal. And blood will splatter everywhere. And that blood will cover your sins. That doesn't have to happen anymore. You are the royal priesthood. You don't have to have an intercessor. Just pray to God. You're a royal priesthood. He says, you are a holy nation You are a people who belong to God. Too many times we are passive about who we are. We talked about the Roman Empire being tolerant. We live in a day and an age of tolerance, do we not? And many times we are afraid to stand up and say unashamedly, I am a Christ follower. You know why? Because we don't want to offend somebody. Because we don't want to rub somebody the wrong way. I heard of a high school student in our church, she will go nameless, who has been having a Bible study at her school. And one day, leaving PE class with her Bible in her hand, was confronted by another Christian saying, you know, you really shouldn't have that Bible at school. School's no place for a Bible. Friends, we are Christ followers. We should never be ashamed. We should never be afraid to say, I'm chosen. God wanted me. We don't rub it in people's faces. We're not obnoxious. We don't want to turn people off, but never be afraid to make a statement. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. It's a label worthy of wearing. Well, there's a third picture. And this is really where I want to spend the rest of the message today. The people of God have a lifestyle that we are called to embrace. Listen to verses 11 and 12. Some of my favorite verses in this entire book. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I love this next phrase. I wish I could burn it in your heart and in your minds. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify god on the day that he visits us live such good 
lives. I think what Peter's trying to say is three things here. I think number one, he's saying Christ followers should be different. My life should be different. Your life should be different. In in the Roman Empire back in the, the 60s AD, they really had an anything goes philosophy in many ways. If you wanted to be sexually promiscuous, that was okay. If you wanted to be a drunkard, as long as you didn't cause problems for Rome or Roman citizens, go for it. Whatever your vice is, live it up, have a blast, do whatever you want to do. And Peter says, friends, this home, this world is not your home. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You should look different. Now, Christians for centuries have struggled with what should that look like. Some groups of Christians have said, well, you know, all the men should grow really long beards or really long hair. Or all the women should dress exactly alike and not do anything that that looks anything like the world. That's not at all what Peter's talking about here. Peter's saying that as you're out and as you're about at the sporting event, at the restaurant, at the neighborhood barbecue, that you're different. When everyone's telling the joke that is kind of a lowbrow joke, you're not laughing. When the, uh, when the low of society are being oppressed, you're saying that's not right. You're different. Peter says we're called to be different. Secondly, Peter says we're also called to live lives that are declarative. They make a statement. Who we are is obvious. What's he say? Live such good lives among the pagans. Dwight Moody, founder of Moody Bible Institute, wrote this about what it means to to live a life that is declarative, that makes a declaration. Here's what he said. It's a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about living a holy life. Here's what he says. Lighthouses do not ring bells. Lighthouses do not fire cannons to call attention to their shining. What do they do? They just shine. And for years, saved lives by shining. Our lives should make a statement. My daughter's volleyball team made it to the state championship this weekend. And in the semifinals, they had to play a team that they've never been able to beat. Powerhouse parochial school from Springfield. And uh, all week long, some of you asked me, are they going to win? And I said, I don't think they're going to win. I I just, I don't think they can do it. And an amazing thing happened is that they came out and they played the best game they've played all year. And they didn't just win. They really blew out this other team that was favored to win state in the semifinals. And one of the things about this other team, this Lutheran school, that I've noticed is that every time when a match ends, the entire team, all 15 of them, go over and shake hands with the officials and thank them for officiating their match. Now, that's probably pretty fun to do when you win, isn't it? Thank you very much. So I was watching. I actually got to sit on the sidelines, the scorekeeper. I actually got to watch it up close and personal. And as the, the Mount Pulaski team is dancing and screaming and they're happy, here come the Lutheran girls, the team that was supposed to win state, tears in their eyes. And every single one of them shook all four hands of the officials. And you know what I said? They're making a statement that win or lose, this is what we're about. I I finally got up. I had to go shake their hands. Someone from Mount Pulaski had to shake their hands. The point is this. You may say, you were just talking about people being burned to death. Is it really fair to draw a correlation to a volleyball game? Do volleyball games matter? And here's my answer for you. Absolutely not. Yes, 
the next time you're out and about and you're above the fray for Christ, people will notice, I guarantee you. The next time you're at the restaurant and, and the waitress is an absolute disaster and instead of browbeating, you love her and you give her more of a tip than you would have normally and you say, I love you in the Lord, it makes a difference. Our lives should be declarative. And then finally, number three, our lives should demonstrate our faith every day. Peter says, may they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You know, you don't have to be a sports fan to have noticed or to have read about the tragedy that is unfolding even as we meet this morning in central Pennsylvania, Penn State University, and uh, the abuse of children that's taken place. And uh, I am a sports fan, but I got to tell you, I've just been sick to my stomach, sick to the point of wanting to vomit at times as I have read about some of the tragedies that have taken place. And Friday night when I went to bed, I, I really thought to myself, they should not play their football game on Saturday. They just should say, it's too hard. There's too much pain. We shouldn't play the football game. And I kept thinking, no matter what they do, people are going to throw stones at them. If they just gloss over it, people are going to throw stones. If they try to do some big ceremony, people are going to throw stones. What could they do that would be the perfect response to a crisis? How many of you saw what they did? Did you see what happened? Both football teams brought every single player that was dressed, and they knelt at midfield and for four minutes before a Big Ten football game, prayed as one of the Nebraska coaches led them in prayer. Now, does that fix everything? Not at all. Does that make everything happily ever after ending? Not at all. But someone was demonstrating their faith yesterday when the entire world was watching. And friends, we're called to be different. We're called to make a declaration. We're called to demonstrate our faith when things are great and when things are as bad and as tough as they can be. Bottom line is this. My challenge for you this morning, follow the leader. And before you know it, you'll be making a difference. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thanks for blessing us. And thanks for the opportunity to study uh, some real wonderful verses of Scripture. Help us to never suffer from that identity crisis. Help us to never forget who we are. That we have a leader that is so worthy of following. That we have a label that is worthy of wearing. That we have a lifestyle that we're called to embrace. We love you. And it's in your name, my Father, that we pray. Amen. This morning, right now, as we end our service, we want to close our time with an invitation. We do it every week. If you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward. Uh, we'd love to see you give your life to Christ today and say, that, that's the leader I want to follow. I also want to let you know that if, if you are personally struggling, Ernie's in the back. I think he's going to come up front. I'm up front as well. And if you'd like prayer during this time, we would love to pray with you and for you as we stand together and Jim leads us in our song of commitment. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the
of the universe, everything was made in you. Jesus, breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you. You may be seated. We're going to ask at this time for Kayla and Dee to come up. There's some really cool things happening. We, we've, for quite some time, wanted to see a college ministry really get up and running at First Christian Church. We have some awesome high school students that leave, and you know maybe they don't go off to college. And anyway, I'm not going to tell their whole story, but there are some neat things happening, and Dee and Kayla are going to talk to you. Good morning. I just wanted to have the chance to share that we do have a new college career class that is being offered during the Sunday school hour. Um, this summer, I had the opportunity of just sitting by a poolside talking to Kayla, and she mentioned that she would like to get a college class going. And I volunteered, and I will have to say it has been such a blessing. I personally am dealing with empty nests, so what better way to deal with empty nests and take on a whole mess of young adults. So they're filling my void and I'm filling theirs. And I just want to reach out to any of you who have children away at college, even if they're not in college, um, even young adults in their 20s, this is a place that you can come on Sunday morning and join us. We're also doing extra things during the week. 
um, just sharing. And too often we have sent our kids away to college, and when they come back to church, they're just kind of lost as to where to go and what to do. So I just want to extend the invitation that we are meeting uh, down behind primary around the adult classes. Um, let them know that I always bring 